Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live as we have wonderful thunderstorm that's about to happen here in Johannesburg. If you live on the right side of the tracks and you don't have to worry about flash flooding, I've got to check my privilege. And if you are not my puppy that doesn't like the thunderstorms, otherwise it's one of those majestic afternoons. I hope it doesn't interfere with this recording. This half an hour or so, I'm engaging a new member of Action SA, but not new to South African politics, Mr. Athel Trollope, who is in the Eastern Cape. And of course, he's got deep footprints in South African politics, has played a massive role within the Democratic Alliance and its predecessor parties. He's been involved in politics since the 80s and have been a representative at least since 1995. And the same with his family, grandfather going back all the way to the United Party. So he's got politics running through his veins and he is from my home province, the Eastern Cape. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Ethel, good morning, and thank you so much for coming on Eusebius on Times Live. Good afternoon, Eusebius. I don't know if you've just woken up, but it's it's afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) I'm busy thinking about how Cyril is going to induce coma this evening in the State of the Nation address. But I'm delighted that you are far more alert than I am. Have you missed (laughs) robust engagement with the media? Yeah, look, I have missed it. I'm a bit out of practice and I was very lucky. um, And probably you didn't want me to do it, but a number of people sent me your podcast yesterday. So I warmed up a little bit and I had some heads up there. And I want to tell you that I was not born in the 50s. I know, I know. And I knew you'd pick up on it because you're a stickler for detail. (laughs) We'll reserve that for for Herman, who was born in 1959. Let me say first and foremost, which is perfectly permissible in the relationship between media and politics. Congratulations and welcome back. Yeah, thank you, Eusebius. You know, a very tough decision uh, to come back to something that you've left. I experienced that once before in my political life where I left uh, the provincial legislature in Bishu and uh, after a sojourn in Cape Town, I went back to Bishu. I often said it was a bit like, it, it felt like it would probably feel like going back into one's mother's womb. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't, it wasn't um, that flash as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's coming back into politics is not a decision one takes lightly. And I thought long and hard about it. But I've had two years outside of politics to reflect a little bit. And also I've had the unbiased insight into some lived realities that one might miss as a politician. Sure. That's that's absolutely right. I want to start off with some questions that my dad has for you, because sometimes as political analysts, we get into the fray in a different kind of way. He's from P.E. and Eastern Cape like you and me and he sent me a voice note and he said 
Wat interessant zal wees is om uit te vind wat was die meest belangrijkste issues in termen van die onderhandelingen, wie voor wie gevallen en wat was de discussie in, in termen van die demand voor die een maak voor die ander een. For those who are thoroughly anglicized, my, you know, the question is who called who first and what were the discussion points in the negotiation? I mean, I think ja, that's actually a really ma- interesting question. Ik denk dat bij een vuilige en rechtheid vraag en ik zal je paar die eerder geven om te zeggen dat was eindelijk glad niet onderhandelingen. Okay. We didn't negotiate at all, uh, but I'll give you the whole chapter and verse. Uh, shortly after I'd uh, retired from, well, resigned my leadership positions in the DA mm. on in October 2019, mm. um, Herman phoned me in December 2019 and asked me if he could come and see me early in January. Mm. I said, sure, by all means, you're welcome to come and see me. And I never heard from him again. And uh, I thought, well, you know, that's fine. I really have no problem. Uh, I've left politics. I would have been happy to meet him. We were colleagues for a short while. We were mayors together. And then um, two years went by, and it was mid-December when we arranged to meet uh, in December, but there was that chaos happening in the council in Joburg, and then Herman went on holiday, and then he, we made a plan to meet on the 17th of January. I met him in his house. Uh, there was no negotiation. In fact, there was no mention. I said, I don't want to hear about, uh, you know, remuneration or anything like that. I'm not interested. I, I want to ask you questions on some seminal issues. They answered them, he and Michael Beaumont. And then I went back and there was some more media stuff, especially on stuff around xenophobia and the EFF. And I wrote him a long letter. I said, these are, are issues that I want crystal clarity on. I want to know where you stand. And I want you to send me your constitution and I want you to send policy documents. I want you to send me the people's dialogue. And I read all of that stuff, compiled some more questions. And I have them in writing so that I have them for my reference because I'm not going to go into something blindly. I, I, I'm really not, because to go back into politics is a big thing, you know, for my family and my wife and everyone like that. It's a, it's, it's a big, it's a ongelooflijke opoffer. And um, that's how it happened. I want to engage that a little bit, um, Mr. Trollope. We can engage on ideology, on vision, on policy, and that's important, especially as we get closer to 24. But perhaps in this interview, we can keep it for the first half, at least, a bit more personal. I mean, you've, you, you know, you're not as old as I wrongly said you were yesterday, but you don't need to come back into politics. Politics is horrible. I've seen how liberated, you know, Musi Maimane was after he left politics. Lindy where you know it's almost like oh now I can just breathe properly again you get trolled you get loved by some people sure but you get hated in equal measure you could simply still have been busy and energetic even as an extrovert doing your business as a business consultant and trying to bridge the gap between the state and the private sector despite our state capture has made us cynical about those relationships I mean there's a lot you, you could have done without coming back into the fray into the lion's den, as it were. Why come back? Is it just a case of what you only live once and you, you, you may as well have another bite of the cherry or it's the best thing that you know from your biggest part of your life? Yeah, no, look, the best thing I know from the biggest part of my life is farming and, and, and love for farming and my community. That's the best thing I know. Mm. I've also been a politician for a big part of my life. Um, 
Yeah, you know, you see, I had two years of um, out of politics. I even moved. My wife and I live in Port Alfred now. We live in a really chilled part of the world on the coast. Yeah. Uh, my my kids are bigger now, so my kids are in their thirties. Um, so I, I approached them and I said, "Look, I'm going back into this." And they also said, "You know, Dad, are you crazy? I'm had enough." Yeah. My yeah. wife, uh, my uh, I'm I'm remarried, so my my wife uh, met me in 2013 in the middle of a campaign. She's only ever known me as a politician. My first wife knew me as a farmer and then a politician, and that took its toll. It really did take its toll on my family and on my kids, especially. I was an absent dad. I, I was away a lot, so I don't have those stresses. You know, my my wife is very supportive, and she says, "Look, if that's what you're called to, you, you must do it." Uh, but, you know, I started a consultancy business. The objective was to bridge the divide between the public and private sector. And I knew I had some kind of uh, capital in South Africa. And I knew I could knock on ministers' doors and DGs' doors and that kind of thing. I just didn't know how badly contaminated I was until mm-hmm. I had an interaction with a guy who said to me, you know, Ethel, you can help me achieve what I need to achieve and I can help you achieve what you need to achieve, as long as you don't have your blue hat on. And then I realized that, you know, state capture and cater development is pervasive. It's completely pervasive. Sure. So I know that, I know we can work together in this country. I even experienced it in Nelson Mandela Bay, where most of the officials were ANC aligned, if not hmm. catered. Hmm. Where I promised them I'd keep the politics out of the administration as long as they kept the administration out of the politics. Yeah. So I do believe in South Africa that we, people like you and I, can make this country work. I have a firm belief in that. It's mm. it's very badly damaged by design and hollowed out so that people can exploit that. Uh, but I did learn that the civil service has lost its ububele, mm. you know, matupili, to mm-hmm. care, to put people first. They've lost that. It's about self-service. And they learned that it's a reflection of politics. Yeah. And Herman said something yesterday that, that I wondered where he was going because, you know, it's a bit unusual for a politician to say what he said. He said to the gathered audience, he said, what I really like doing is making money. He said, that's what, that's what really turns me on. And he said, I like the fact that I was selling a product and whether I was in Gauteng or the Eastern Cape, the tills were working in Gauteng because people were buying my product because they believed in it. And I thought, hey, that's a bit weird. And then I thought, isn't that amazing? If every South African had that attitude, if I put something in, I can get something out and I'm earning a living. But you look at our politicians in this country, some of the most affluent people, even those that wear red overalls, mm. underneath, it's just dripping with affluence. And that's because, not because they're working hard and putting stuff through the tools, they're yeah. putting their fingers in the tools. No, that's true. I think that's true. And that leads me nicely to the th- the two broad thematic areas that really is all I want to explore in our first interview with you in this new new role and, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have more interviews in the future. The first is on something that was said in the official press statement yesterday is that before you finally agreed that you are going to be part of Action SA, that conversation you've alluded to included just clarity on policy etc. But just factually Ethel, the party, and I, I'm wrestling with how fair it is, although the horse has bolted because I've already criticized you in an article yesterday as a party. Um, the party is quite new. It doesn't yet have a vision, clear identity and clear party position. So, 
I thought to myself, the comms person, as much as I have respect for her, uh, Lerato, and maybe Michael, uh, if they if they draw up that statement, they're taking liberties. There are no clear signature policies as yet, or even a basic ideological identity to the party. Yeah, they've got a, a constitution, and uh, they've got a, a document based on um, uh, the People's Dialogue, uh, which informed a lot of their positions, so to speak. But, you know, in a new organization, uh, it's very much a fledgling organization. My first weekend back in politics, we, goodbye weekends. That's, that's the reality. First weekend back in politics, I'm going to a strategic planning session where obviously we'll be talking about policy. And I've said, you know, um, what I believe Action SA needs, it needs a set of coherent, easily understandable, unambiguous policy offerings. The, the beauty about being new and fresh is that you don't have to reflect or, or mimic the established political parties. So I said, pick your fights. Don't just pick every fight. Pick your fights. Pick the issues that affect South Africans, the man and woman in the street, real bread and butter issues, and be unambiguous about them. So that's what we'll do this weekend. I'm, I'm sure you're going somewhere with your question. But well, I won't. I mean, I'm going to be fair on you, right? I mean, I'm not going to be um, adversarial and tough just for the sake no of problem. it. No needs to an end. I think we are beyond that now. Me too, in my career, um, that will come out. But out of interest, sadly, because of the ANC's poor governance, we're not short of a laundry list of issues one could own as a nascent party and try and build intellectual and political ownership around and try and sell it to the electorate. Um, Intuitively, or to the extent that you've thought about it since you thought about coming back into politics, we can't solve all of the problems in one paragraph. What for you are the two or three issues around which a good Bosporat could be fruitful to try and do some blue sky thinking on with a view to selling a clear set of policy proposals to the to the public too, where the ANC has, has mismanaged us. We, we all know there are at least 50 such issues. Cyril won't be able to tackle them all this evening. Um, but you can't you can't discuss all of them in a weekend. What do you think are the two or three most important, particularly strategically, because you've got to distinguish yourself? Yeah. Um, so before I answer that specific part of the question, you know, I think because um, South Africa is in such a bad state and we've got a number of established political uh, parties, um, some of them in, in, in government in, play, in places like the DA in the Western Cape and a few other municipalities, ANC predominantly in government in the rest of the country with the IFP governing a few others. So there's an establishment, there's a political establishment, and everyone can criticize and point out where the failures are. But just to, to give you an insight into what one of the triggers for me to finally say, listen, I actually need to do more here. One of my very close former colleagues, and I still actually regard him as a friend, sent me a WhatsApp to say, I can't believe it. I hear you joining the green xenophobe. And uh, if I may use this word on your on your show, and, and I've got one of those meters, you know, it goes up quickly. And fortunately, it comes back down quite quickly. And... Um, I, I then wrote again to Herman and I said, look, I've had this question and I think you need to be very clear on it. So then I went and read their constitution 
Uh, and the Constitution, basically one little paragraph, we must act as one against gender-based violence. Our immigration system must be overhauled to attract skilled migrants while clamping down the influence of undocumented migrants through our porous borders, the failure of home affairs and, uh, and the rights of all South African, blah, blah, blah. So I said, I want to know this because I don't want to go somewhere where it's led by a green xenophobe or any kind of xenophobe. But what really got me going was we are puerile in South African politics. We give people handles. If you're DA and you're white, you must be racist. If you are IFP, you must be a Zulu. Uh, if you are in Mashaba's party, you must be a green xenophobe. Or if you're in uh, my, uh, Malema's party, you must be a rabid red racist. Those things don't help. They really don't fix the problems. They exacerbate the problems. So I think here are the a few. Let, uh, let me just pick maybe three or four. Unemployment, economic growth, um, ensuring that there's some kind of stability in this country uh, that creates, um, that attracts investment, security, certainty. That, that issue around our economy, we don't fix that. You can do whatever you like. I worry that our civil service is like, cost of employees is around 70, 80% in some of the service delivery departments. How yeah. on earth will you deliver services? So, so that has to change. It has to be turned upside down on its head, get hmm. people to do things. Hmm. So, so that's the first. Uh, if we don't do that, uh, unemployment and hopelessness that I saw in the plotline in the last two years yeah. will swamp this country. It's a, re a recipe for revolution. I think that's right. What is going to be interesting when you engage on, on those questions and ask yourselves co collectively, what is action as A's position in response to low growth, high unemployment, general instability when it comes to the political economy, is that your differences will then emerge. Differences are not inherently problematic. You are not a party of people who sing from the same hymn sheet. As you correctly said to my friend and colleague, Stephen Grutzes yesterday on Newsroom Africa, of course, you're not going to agree with everything that Herman says. But I mean, you know, perfect agreement is not a precondition for working together. Out of interest, though, how, how would you, and I know we can't eat political philosophy, but, but how do you broadly self-identify now? Are you still a liberal? I don't know where Herman stands. That's part of my beef with, with him is that he doesn't like the ANC. Okay, that's fine. Many of us have fallen out of love with the ANC, I think for good reason. But the question as you march towards 2024 will, will be, who are you? What are you? And that's very different to agreeing that the ANC is bad news for the country. Are you still a liberal? On economic thinking, for example, um, would you enter debates about unemployment and economic growth with deep commitment to a massive social security net for the most vulnerable, which is not free market foundation thinking? Yeah, look, I am a liberal. Um, I think that's my DNA. Uh, in me, I'm a liberal. Uh, I'm also very much a realist, and I believe that the, the new ism uh, that, that is opposite across the world. You know, it used to be liberalism, conservatism, socialism, communism, all those isms. The new one is pragmatism. 
you know, and, and that's why we live in a global village, for example, and we need to be clear where we are on immigration, emigration, and migration. We have to be very clear on those issues because that is the lived reality of the world right now. So that's the first thing. Secondly, uh, you know, in my former political party, we used to really be very adamant about the fact that we were so united in our thinking that if I fell off my chair or I had a stroke or something, that my colleague would be able to finish my sentence because we were so homogenous, we thought so like. <laughs> um, and now, you know, um, after being a net beneficiary for 20 years in this country, in my former party, assimilated people from all over. I remember one of the biggest debates in our party was whether we should become the DA and assimilate the new national party. And Dean Smuts and I can talk about Dean because she's not here with us anymore. Bless her soul. Dean Smuts and I opposed it. We said, no, no, one more election and we can finish off the national party. Anyway, history is we, Colin Eglin convinced us not to vote and we took a decision and the rest is history and we formed the DA. So the, the DA has been a net beneficiary of assimilating people from all different ideological backgrounds. And this weekend, I'll be sitting around a table with a lot of people I've never met before. And the one thing about when you cross ideas or cross pollinate, I'm a farmer, I'm a bee farmer and a sheep farmer. When you cross two animals, you get hybrid vigor. And when you cross it too many times, it becomes weaker again. So that phenotypic uh, mixing makes you strong and then ultimately makes you weak again. So when you, when you cross two ideas, you can come out with a strong idea and then you must keep it there. Uh, and then you've got to breed carefully. You can't just keep crossbreeding it's a, forever. It's a delicate balance. And that's Very. what I praised you for. And I meant it, that you've got a clarity of thought and of speech. My subjective opinion, that's going to help the party. It's a bit better than, as you experienced yesterday, wondering where is Herman going with I love making money anecdotes. But there's a fine balance between the pragmatism that attracts diversity and therefore numbers and doing what you said earlier, which is having a clear proposition that you sell to the voters. And sometimes it's difficult to square to square the circle. Let's take a thorny issue that you probably knew I was going to ask you about anyway. I won't fight you on it, but let's take the race question. Pongani Boloy leaves the DA and a week after leaving, he says to the Sunday Times, repeats it on this platform, that he didn't felt seen. He felt infantilized, not just as Bongani Beloy, the human being, but specifically as a black person. When you and I have engaged over the years, whether it's you contesting with Lindy, where you refused me needling you to accept that race when two people are equally qualified can be a legitimate tiebreaker given historic redress that is necessary. You loved the local government success of the DA in PE and said that it was proof that also voters do not care deeply for race in the way in which the ANC does, for example. Do you still believe in that or are you more woke on the race question now? Look, I'm inspired by the fact that Tosa voters could vote for me. I really am inspired by that because I think that that's precisely what our country needs because we are such a diverse country. But, you know, I've also changed a lot. I remember it was a difficult time for me when another one of Helen Zilla's proxies 
uh, took me on in a contest and, and, and beat me. And I'm a Democrat. I accepted Lindy Weir's victory. We had a press conference together afterwards, and people were surprised that I even went. They said, no, we thought you wouldn't come. I said, well, please, of course I'd come. And the Mail and Guardian followed that. with a, They took a picture of me going down the stairs to my office to clear out my office. And the headline then was White Man's Burden. And when I read that the next morning, I thought to myself, how on earth can this be my burden? That Lindiwe Mazibuko beats me in a contest and that that's a burden. I mean, how can it be a burden? People died in this country. People were oppressed in this country for hundreds of years. And I lost a position and it's now a burden. That gave me great perspective about where we are in a country. You did mention in your podcast, and I think uh, it would be fair uh, to, to just answer you on that. I made a comment when I um, retired or resigned my position in the party that I was nervous uh, about what I was going to do tomorrow because I literally resigned my position. And one day for 25 years, I've been doing one thing. And the next day, I really didn't know how I was going to meet my uh, obligations. You know, and we have obligations. And I made a comment. I said, you know, it's going to be tough for somebody like me of my complexion. And then as I said it, as I said it, I added with my hairstyle I know. to try and, de- to try and <laughs> deflect them because I realized I'd made a mistake and I'm not perfect. And, and, and it's, it's difficult to say, not difficult to say that. It's very easy for me to say I'm not perfect. But I knew as I said it mm-hmm. that there was a problem there. You know why? Because I belong to a political party that for a long time, successive leaders had said to us two things. It's not so much what you say. It's how you say it. Yeah, 100%. And I was on record so many times in our party to say, you cannot disguise racism. In fact, when you think you're disguising it, the people that feel it will smell it and they can see it kilometers away. Spot on. And then the the other thing that was drilled into us was, when you're explaining, you lose it. And I hear a lot of explain in South African politics. Mm. So they lose voters. Mm. So Eusebius, yeah, it, was, it wasn't clever. I made a mistake. I, I caught it as the bullet was leaving the barrel mm. to realize that. But, you know, I, I, it is a reality. At 56, I think I was about 55 or 56 years old then. Mm. It was daunting. I, did, I really did not know how I was going to meet my commitments, but I had the courage of my convictions that I wasn't going to just carry on carrying on because I was the chairman of the party. When Musi resigned, I would have been de facto become the interim leader of the party, but I would have had to compromise some of my own convictions that I said I'd lost. Absolutely. So I said, I'm going, I'm going today. And I didn't know what tomorrow held. And uh, God was good to me. Uh, I I was able to meet my commitments. Mm. So I made a mistake. And uh, I knew I'd made a mistake as I said it. And I thought, okay, I've got to make a plan here. Fair enough. Fair enough. enough. Third last question, Mr. Trollope. Would you agree that while important and in my subjective opinion, true, that we really can't afford the ANC in this country for much longer that the basis of successful electoral politics can't just be on that slogan Pope teaches us that lesson the DA not getting 30% teaches us that lesson the EFF being sluggish teaches us that that lesson the hung municipalities demonstrating lack of decisive preferences from us as voters teaches us that 
The voter turnout that you've reflected on in recent weeks teaches us that. And so while Herman Mashaba is a strong brand, name recognition, face recognition, you yourself in the Eastern Cape and nationally, that you're going to have to very quickly have something of a quasi or actual policy conference so that you can complement critiquing the ANC with offering a positive identity, vision and policies. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, first of all, I agree with you 100% that, and that's what I said yesterday, I said, in my lifetime, I want to see political, democratic political change again. I believe if we don't see democratic political change again in South Africa very, very soon, we might see some other kind of change, whether it's a coup, whether it's an insurrection, whether it's a revolution. We had a foretaste of that last year. So I'm very, very keen in my lifetime. And I think 28 years in government for any political party, especially one that has failed as miserably as this one, is time to go. But I also know that telling people other people's mistakes is not going to get you anywhere. So I, I think, for example, while you were talking, if the Springbok rugby side kept on carping about New Zealand's not really so good because they, they've lost a couple of big players and they're just trading on their name now and we're going to beat them and they go over there and they don't beat them, that doesn't help. Yeah. You've got to believe in yourself. You've got to believe in yourself. And then I look at our sevens rugby side, and this is what really excites me about the potential of South Africa. You know, nobody talks about merit in, in the sevens rugby side. No one talks about racial representation. No one says you must have 50% of that or 60% of that. Those guys are picked by a person and people who've identified that you need common purpose, you need dedication to that purpose, and no individualism, no big egos or I can run faster than this one. And they play to a pattern and they win mm. because they're deeply, deeply disciplined in that thing. And I, I wrote some notes. I've been doing some preparation. I've been on the aircraft again. I, um, I really don't, haven't missed flying. If you haven't got message discipline and that discipline gets diluted, your opponents are going to um, convolute your message and they're going to use propaganda against you. So I believe we have to have a very simple offer of the seminal issues. I said the economy and jobs education, health care, um, even on coalitions, must be very clear. In coalitions, because coalitions are here to stay for a while, whatever's happening in them now is going to uh, limit their lifespan because the voters will soon see they're voting for a hodgepodge that doesn't work. But we're going to have coalitions for a while. And we better have coalition agreements mm. that are literally written in blood. Absolutely. If yeah. your coalition partner does not adhere to the agreements that you sit around a table with, they must remove that person or they must be removed themselves out of that coalition. The other thing is I've learned, don't have cooperation agreements in politics. They're not worth anything because today they'll cooperate, tomorrow they won't. Then they'll leverage some more transactions the next day to, get, to give you their support. This rubbish about the EFF not going into coalition agreements, they must pick their side mm. and make their bed and sleep in it or not go in the bed. Mm, absolutely, Simple. yeah. So second, last question. There's a one thing the ANC used to get right, and then they stopped being effective at it in recent years. 
which is one of the many parts of the machinery that no longer works for them electorally, is really taking seriously, even if it was sometimes nominally so, the branch as the most democratic unit of the party, auditing them. And yeah, of course, you know, there, there was fraud and malfeasance and some provincial leaders would often in a skellum way get votes from those branch, repre branch representatives at the elective conferences. But the basic idea of bottom-up internal democracy, you, you should either honor or at the very least pay lip service to. Organizing those structures is really important. Those become your ambassadors and activists within the communities in the length and breadth of the country. You know they are going to have an enormous challenge because you're going to need resources and the equivalent of the office of the Secretary General, not headed by an Aish Mahashule, what are your what's your thinking there and 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 that's a sort of technocratic aspect of politicking that is not as fun and headline grabbing as a press conference around big ideas another big famous name joining the party in a couple of weeks kind of thing sort of like quiet on the ground work is there a plan and and how can you assist the party there because you no. take the eastern cape as an example as steven said to you yesterday um, you know, you don't you don't have a footprint in, in many important parts. You might have traveled the length and breadth of the, the province, the Plateland and all the small little dorps. But now there's got to be proper structures in place so that someone can elect you rather than you being parachuted in. Yeah, I think that's the first thing I'd like to address. Um, you know, as people have said, you know, you, you've now been appointed. Yeah, I have been appointed. I, I don't like that. But, you know, um, You've got to start somewhere uh, as a political organization and you can't start having elections when you've got 10 members because you need that branch. You need to establish structures. You need to work out how people are going to elect their leaders. And uh, the sooner we can do that, the better, because the branch member is your activist, as you said, and they're very crucially important people. They also are, unfortunately, political equity in political parties that get manipulated and people are, become gatekeepers and they hold members out. And so it's a very delicate thing to, to control properly. Uh, you know, I wish we could have branch members in political parties like you are a member of a bank branch because all you've got is a number and you transact on your number. That's it. But in politics, it's slightly different. Uh, Eusebius, this is quite a unique time for a new party because you've got interim structures, you've got appointed structures, and there is also quite a lot of organic volunteerism and enthusiasm. I'll give you a classic example. I met a guy years ago who's an entrepreneur in East London. Uh, he's just hustling with all sorts of plans. And then he phoned me on a Tuesday evening to say, well done, I can't wait. Uh, you're joining my party, all the rest. And I said, yeah, that's fantastic. I look forward to seeing you. Five o'clock on Wednesday morning, I was going to drive to Port Elizabeth for the press conference. He said, can I come to the press conference? I said, of course you can come to the press conference. He got into his car. His car broke down halfway between East London and Port Alfred in the Lilies. He phoned the breakdown. He said, I'm leaving this car here. I'm going to hide the car, the keys in a certain place. I'm not staying because I'm hitchhiking. I'm going to Port Elizabeth. He got a lift with a guy in Cape Town who he brought to the press conference, met me and chatted to Herman. And then he turned around that evening, uh, the afternoon, I put him on an uh, Uber and to the outskirts of PE and he got onto his thumb and he was home again that evening. You know, that inspired me. It actually brought me to tears. So that kind of initial 
volunteerism and enthusiasm in a new party, it wanes quickly. But fortunately for Action SA, or unfortunately, we have no statutory funding. So we've got no elected MPs or MPLs. We've got no funding from the government. So everything's going to have to be self-funded and fundraising is going to be crucial. And obviously, I'll have to play a role in fundraising. But the activists also know there is nothing. Okay, somebody said to me, a journalist that I'm meeting after our chat, there's our Meet You in Action SA officers at Cape Town. I said, there is no such thing. So it's it's lean times now at the moment, and we will have to count on that volunteerism and activism. But it's not sustainable forever. Once the, uh, you know, the, the resourcing comes through statutory funding, people then want to be paid to put up posters. Yeah. I don't know. Things change. I used to put yeah. up posters for free, even when I was <laughs> the provincial leader. But now people want to be paid. <laughs> Last question. Um, I'm just going to say it as I see it. I I find Herman fascinating. I often bump into him. We go to the same pharmacy around my area because he doesn't live far from where I live. I think he's a nice guy. He's also wonderfully authentic. Gareth and Onslin might disagree and calling him a, a flip-flop. Um, and I think he's an interesting black South African, and I say that deliberately, because there are very few black South Africans with his background born into conditions of poverty and then end up as chairperson of the Free Market Foundation and flirts with right-wing politics and sort of reigns himself in a little bit later in terms of economic thinking. But from a personality point of view, I know many of the staff who've worked with him as mayor um, and some of the people that have worked with him in the lead up to the local elections. He's got tunnel vision, which is useful. If you are a donor, you know exactly what you are backing. And if you like his politics and there's a coincidence, and he's not John Steenhuisen, we're not going to have a white president in this country anytime soon. You might say, let me give my capitalist support to Herman. He's a capitalist like me, but he's got the advantage of being black. Coming from the township is a better horse to, to, to back than Steenhuisen. But here's the point I'm coming to. He's also stubborn as hell. Very difficult to work with, many say. And you are sophisticated tactically, but you also have, as you called it earlier, I think it was either a hutful meter or mood meter that can go up and down. How are you guys going to manage relations? Because if, if you are having a weekend debate about what is our land position, what is our position on the migration of people and not just goods between here and Zim, for example, he says he listens, he welcomes Bongani, he welcomes you, he works as lyrical. Um, but he can also be a runaway train. Yeah, you know, um, I, I don't know if it was you or, or, or someone said recently that his sentences run into the other way. Doesn't finish sentences. <laughs> um, unfortunately, it was me. I hope it. I hope no one told him that I said that. No, and I was chatting to him um, yesterday over coffee. Uh, because he, I was listening to him, we, we were chatting, and he's like enthusiastic. We were even talking politics, <laughs> and his, his enthusiasm like makes his mouth run away, or, or makes his brain run away with his mouth. And I told him that uh, I think it was you who said that, and he laughed. Yeah. You know, he really laughed. <laughs> and I think he, I, th I think that's what it is. You know, um, really successful people are a bit ADDH, or uh, and and they're thinking ahead, and they become a bit incoherent. Sure. Um, so I think we can complement each other. I really do. I, I really respect him. I do have a lot of respect for Herman. 
And I think we can complement each other. I like the fact that he said yesterday that we, we, we're here to do a job. We're not looking for friends, either friendly friendships with other parties mm. or friendships with each other. Fair enough. I think, I think familiarity breeds contempt, uh, especially in leadership positions. I used to tell the young leaders in our pro- uh, uh, province that leadership is a really lonely place. If you want to be a leader, you better be ready to be alone because you don't fraternize with people that you're leading. Mm. And I, I believe that we can complement each other if we have that kind of relationship. Mm. And I also, I've got a little booklet in my briefcase that I travel around with. Uh, it should be a Bible, but it's not. It's Sun Tzu's The Art of War. And the art to winning a war is to win without fighting. Mm. Once you start fighting, Either the blood flows or the temperatures go up and then you don't hear each other anymore. Mm. So I think if we can, in Action SA, because we, we're very diverse and I'm looking forward to meeting new people tomorrow, uh, if we can convince each other without fighting and if we can win without fighting, then we can get some coherence. The ANC now can't talk to each other. They fight. And once you're fighting, yeah. you don't yeah. see sense. Well, I'm going to end with a comment as a citizen and as a Democrat and I wish this also of the DA. I don't think Helen always believes me or John. Um, I also mean it of the EFF, even though I can be tough in my observations about them. The lifeblood of a sustainable democracy is competitive politics, and we need diversity in the opposition benches, feasible, desirable alternatives to the government of the day, whichever that government party, governing party might be. If it's you tomorrow, we will have the same desire in the opposition benches that you keep the government of the day on its toes if you have attractive alternatives. And the EFF and the DA have got massive weaknesses. And every new entrant will always be told that you're probably going to be the next COPE because the COPE example is trotted out with gay abandon, including by myself. But for the sake of the country, I wish you well because competitive politics is a precondition for a healthy democracy. Uh, Eusebia, from, Eusebia is from your lips to God's ears. You know, one of my very best friends, I met him at the airport. He's going to Sona. And he he, he, he genuinely said to me, uh, he said, Ethel, I hope this works for you. And I said to him, thanks very much. I appreciate it. But it's not for me. It's really not for me. Uh, and if it doesn't work for me, so what? I think we, we, we need some fresh ideas, some fresh options. And I agree with you strongly that they, whoever's in government, they need a strong opposition. Because if you don't have a strong opposition, government will get fraught. Yeah. Not only in South Africa. Governments Absolutely. are fraught across the world because they've got no real opposition. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to, you know, hopefully bring some of that experience that I have. I, you know, I'm also my second twilight of my career. I'm not standing for leadership positions in Action SA. I don't want Herman's job. I don't want to be the chairman of Action SA after 2014 election. I don't want to stand for any leadership positions in this party. I, I, I'm not an evergreen leader. I'm, I'm only 58. But, I, you know, Cyril Ramaphosa and Jacob Zimmer, they were in their 70s as president. I'm not going to be in my 70s in politics. I definitely am not going to be. I've said to Herman, two years to 2024, five years uh, in the legislature, I mean, in parliament, or, you know, if we're in government, I'll do whatever. But thereafter, I'm done. 
because I'm not going to die in these political traces. Absolutely. All the best, Mr. Trollope. Thank you for your generosity and for engaging as always. Thank you very much. And, you know, I respect your job. You've got to push our buttons and uh, hopefully we can respond uh, appropriately. All the best to you too.